Hello everyone and welcome to People Make the Difference, the Lorian podcast. In our podcast, we bring together the best guests from across HR, TA, technology and people related functions to talk about all aspects of talent acquisition, talent management, industry insights and much more with the aim to give you, our listeners, an insight into what the best organisations do in this space to then acquire and look after a people and make a difference to them in their businesses. In this episode, I'm talking to Kieran Morgan, a specialist recruiter within Lorien within the cybersecurity space. I've wanted to talk to Kieran for a long time, um, talk about what is it like hiring for cybersecurity professionals? What does good life look like in terms of um, defining one candidate from another? How do you even get into that space? Um, I thought it was a really interesting episode, and of course I would say that, um, but it's great insight into um, how this space works, um, some great tips for TA teams and how to engage these kind of individuals. And yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Um, as always, if you've got any thoughts or um, would like to contribute to the podcast, please get in touch at solutions at lorienglobal.com. Enjoy. Um, so thanks so much for giving me some of your time, Kieran. Would you mind um, giving us an introduction into, into yourself, how you got started in recruitment, where you're up to in your career now and, and what you're doing now? Yeah, sure. So I've been in recruitment now 17 glorious years. 17 glorious years. It just seems like yesterday, to be fair. Um, but prior, I was actually working at um, a gym in the city. And one of the guys that came into the gym, or a few guys that came into the gym, actually, were recruitment consultants. And kind of as you do, you get talking to people and you find a little bit about them and they find a bit about you. And one of them suggested, oh, you know what? You got a bit of a, a conversation about you. Why don't you try recruitment? Okay, well, fair enough. I hadn't really thought about it. I didn't really know much about recruitment at that particular point. But I thought I'd do some research, see what it's about. I did some. And I think within a week, I had secured a few offers. But I, I, I don't like, I don't like putting my eggs in one basket. So at the same time as doing recruitment, I also looked at one another interest of mine at the time was advertising, and I managed to secure a couple of jobs in there. But I really liked the fact that I would get contact with senior people within the financial services space because I started recruiting in um, banking. Um, and I like the fact that the effort that I put in had an outcome which meant that I could earn um, a significant amount more than what I could have done in advertising at the time anyway. So I joined um, one of the Asprey companies, Huxley. Uh, recruiting actually in the networking and uh, networking engineers and voice as well as Unix platform space, um, which is kind of where I picked up my love for technology. You know, I, rec I recruited significantly across the investment banking space before conversion networks when it was just kind of voice and data separated and then into conversion networks. But my main kind of clients were the big investment banks, hedge funds. And I think from there, I, I learned very, very, very quickly, the more I understood about the technology, the better buy-in I got from candidates and clients alike, and ended up building a really strong network with my clients and candidates. And actually, I, I don't think, I think most of the time I got a requirement through, which was normally face-to-face -face from, from, from kind of one of the customers, I'd be able to suggest, you know, good people on the spot 
and um, became quite well known in, within that particular space. And I started to notice patterns and trends in technology, um, in the involvement of technology, and kind of said to myself, okay, well, I really like tech and I really want to be embedded in it and I want to offer a really good service to my customers. So the more I can stay aligned to where the technology is going, um, you know, the more fun I'm going to have personally, um, but also, you know, the more successful I'm going to be in my career. And I kind of did, you know, I I found out about VMware, for instance, as at its kind of embryonic stage and as it was about to emerge and went to a lot of my customers in the banking sector and kind of gave them that information that this was coming and it's going to be a big thing. And I remember the response, like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a fad. It's just a, just a thing. But little did they know that that would be kind of the start of, where we are kind of now in terms of cloud distribution and you know uh that allowed companies to scale up at uh, at scale scale up at scale um and it was really interesting for me to see how my knowledge and research impacted these large corporations you know little old me had that impact just by kind of my um my personal interest in it and bringing that into my professional work and then from there I've kind of just followed the technology and its progression into its current iteration, recruiting and running the cybersecurity practice at Lorien. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I started and kind of where, where, where I am now. That was a busy week, three weeks here at the gym, wasn't it? Going to, you know, three recruitment interviews, four advertising interviews. Yeah, it was, you know, it's quite a funny <laughs> story on that. I actually remember sneaking out of work and, and putting my suit, it's ridiculous what I did. I put my suit on under my uh, gym uniform. And <laughs> 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 had my jacket on, so I had my jacket on, had the, 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 the gym uniform on and then running off to kind of interviews everywhere. But no, it was good. It was good. And um, I look back at it now, I mean, I... I as a as a kind of point, I almost segued early in my career into um, becoming a network engineer. Um, I was doing a lot of heavy recruiting and became really deep dive technical within that space. And uh, you know, one of the managers suggested, "Why don't I, um, you know, take a basic? Uh, I think it was CCN8 at the time and CCMP, CCNA, move on to CCMP, and then move into kind of the." Um, the, the, becoming a, a network consultant, network engineer, but I was having too much fun in recruitment, and I, I just I liked the fact that I had, you know, a vast array of clients and different diversity of people that I could deal with and and really affect real change. And it sounds kind of like, oh, what do you mean? But you know, some of the people I dealt with were were not earning that much money, and I, you know, I managed to get them some really good jobs and really good com com companies with really good people. And I've actually still friends with some of them now. So at, at the time, I just didn't want to give that up. And hence why 17 years later, I'm still kind of here now doing what I do. You become really invested. I think this is something that people don't realise. I think when you're a specialist recruiter like you are, but you become really invested in your candidates, don't you? You kind of, you, you do, you become friends with them. You want the best for them. I always think about candidates who are just desperate to get the opportunities for. And you'd, you'd kind of go above and beyond, wouldn't you? I can I can even remember the names off the top of my head from like 15, 16 years ago that you'd yeah. be desperate to try and like, I know that this person will be great there. I've got got to get them in there. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you you say that. I um, I remember my first, the first people that I placed, the first people I placed were actually three separate people. I remember all their names. I won't mention them now, but I tracked their career and I was still in touch with a couple of them. Um, 
you know, even today, as an example, a candidate that I placed a few years ago gave me a call just for some advice, you know, um, nothing to do with anything that I've got for him now, just because he, I was invested in his process. I, I, I kind of took a, a personal human approach, which I always like, I think just treat people equally, right? And off the back of that, he's kind of trusted me with some sensitive stuff and, and, and values my guidance. And we had a really good conversation. So that's the reason why I do what I do um, and the reason why I'm still doing what I do. And you're right, you kind of, you can't help but get invested because you're dealing with people at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, I'm just wondering, Kieran, if you hadn't, that look at the draw, you yep. took a recruitment job, you started in network engineering, and in my mind, not as technical as you, network network engineering and VMware is kind of does lead to cybersecurity, doesn't it? Mm. I wonder yep. if you'd have been a cybersecurity recruiter if you'd have started in like software engineering or something like that. I wonder if you'd have gone down a different route. I, I, I probably wouldn't have. And it was interesting you say that because the guy that took me on initially, he had tried to do the networking market and was just unable to crack it. He just didn't get his head around it. But for some reason, I don't, I don't know what it is, maybe I'm genetically disposed <laughs> uh, to it. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that's the correct saying. Um, but um, I just took to it like a Dr. Walker and I understood it. I don't know why. I just understood it very, very quickly. Um I don't know. I don't know if I'll still be in recruitment if I had done anything else, to be honest, because um, I've got quite a few friends that do development and it's no slight against the dev recruiters out there. I, I do love you guys and ladies, um, but I just think there was something in doing things from the ground up, you know, looking at systems from the, the blood, the bloodlines of which kind of the networking and core networking is, you know, it's the, the cables, it's the, the routers, the switching, it's all the core stuff that makes things run and understanding the infrastructure behind it, which I think that was, that's what's really interested me. It's the stuff that people didn't see, you know, and I think um, if I'd done something else, like as you mentioned, development, yeah, I may not be sitting here today. Yeah, who knows? It's just interesting, isn't it? Just yeah. these paths that we fall down. In terms of um, cybersecurity then, obviously, it's always been a hugely in-demand skill. It it always makes me laugh when you see it as like emerging skills because it's it's not. It's always going to be highly in-demand and, and, you know, more so because of, of the technological world that we're in. How hmm. has it changed from you first started doing cybersecurity hiring to, to what it is now? And what are the kind of emerging trends and, and technologies that are going to shape the next few years, do you think? Changed quite a lot. And I think the biggest thing I can see is the is the actual value a business aligns to it. So I think back to when I first started doing my, when I first started doing more cyber orientated recruitment, you know, a cyber and infosec, should I say, recruitment, because it wasn't, especially in the financial services sector when I started recruiting, because it wasn't something that was seen as a uh, money, a revenue generating area, it was, it was it wasn't always and this is not this is not exclusive to every single financial services I, I just put that out there but there were a number that just maybe didn't value it as much as it should have been valued um purely because at the time it was really hard to kind of put you're not making any money from it and you've got to spend quite a lot to to potentially to, to stop losing a certain amount I, I think there was a little bit of lack of education around what it would mean if you had a breach 
you know, um, what would your losses actually be? And I think that was one of the, the, the key things when cyber insurance started kicking in is how do you value this, your loss? You know, what kind of losses are we talking about? And I think as the as the um, the bad actors have become more sophisticated and we're seeing the the I guess the devastation and, and the, the 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 chaos and anarchy that they cause, we're starting to we understand more what the value is if you actually get a, a breach and what that means. And obviously regulation around it has become a lot tighter and fines have become a lot tighter. So all of that has led to there being a lot more um, focus on getting the right kind of cyber and infosec people in your environment. And because we just understand more now about what, what can be caused from it, you know, uh, I think that's the key thing, really. It was just the education piece when I first started out. Um, anyhow, and I guess in answer to your second part in terms of um, emerging trends, I think the biggest thing we're starting to see and, you know, we're seeing across the board is kind of artificial intelligence. You know, and that's, um, I mean, I guess I, that for me is probably another podcast altogether. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's, it's um some people, and again, these are my own opinions, some people are happy about the kind of advancements in that area and others are weary. You know, you've seen stuff in the news where you've seen some high profile people like Elon Musk and so forth um, coming out and saying we need to take hold on it. But I think these these things, you know, are really, are really something we have to take take heed of and be very mindful of over the coming years. Um, and I think cyber and AI are going to be aligned very, very closely. You know, um, there are, there's other things as well, such as automation, cloud applications, kind of inter, you know, internet of things and so forth. Um, and all of these kind of bring greater risk, which means new regulations, compliance standards across the industry. But for me, I think AI is um, one that's really going to shape um, the coming years within the cyberspace. Yeah, definitely. And, and cyber's got to, got to try and stay ahead of it. It's so difficult, mustn't it, but to stay ahead of like tech that people don't know that much about. But that's the challenge, isn't it? I guess. Do you always feel like the industry's playing catch up a little bit? Well, it always it always kind of has, right? Because the I mean, if I go back, if I go back to my and this is again, I, I, I say this with a disclaimer because these are my own thoughts <laughs> on on what I believe. Um, yeah, don't get me I, sued. <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. But, but cyber, cybersecurity for me is more of a psychological discipline, right? Um, and I, I say that by saying essentially we're looking at behaviours. So why do bad people do things they do and what can we do to stop them utilising technology, right? So for, for me, you you kind of always trying to anticipate what someone's going to do, but you're never quite sure what they're actually going to do until they actually do it, right? <laughs> so you're you're always kind of on a back foot in that sense. And I think if we align it back to kind of AI, you you've got something that can do things exponentially quicker, better, more efficient, um, eventually. And that therein lies a challenge. And people say, well, you can use the AI on the reverse side to be kind of defensive as well, but nobody really knows. And that's the scary thing about it. And 
I always come up with this thing, and I've, I've talked to a lot of CISOs and people across the across the globe, and it's something I always say just generally, look, just because it can, or just because you can, it doesn't mean you should. Yeah, and but human nature has a tendency to like to touch fire. <laughs> so we will see if we uh, touch the fire and get burnt, uh, but it's going to be an interesting ride either way, right? Yeah, time will tell, time will tell. Yeah. Um, Bringing it back down to almost to the tactical level for a second. Sure. I'm a high, I'm a, an organisation. I give you a, a CISO role. What are kind of some of the day-to-day challenges you face when you're hiring for these really highly specialised cyber roles? Because I imagine that they're different to most of the tech roles that we that we hire for. What what challenges are unique to this space? Do you think? Specialised roles. <sighs> Yeah, they are. They, well, the first the first challenge, I guess, is is the um, the further up the chain you go, the the the, the less of the pool you have to choose from, um, you know. And and therein lies kind of your biggest and first kind of challenge. The second part is actually engaging with that network, because you're thinking about a pool of people which are going to be highly in uh, you know highly in demand, and they're going to have organizations approaching them directly recruiters like myself approaching them directly and it's it's been able to build up a you, you know a network of good people um who you who you know are going to be right for these type of senior level positions um i guess if you look at the flip side on that as well from a company perspective in terms of what what their demands might be you know with all the regs and stuff coming through companies demands on an individual have increased exponentially over the years which again makes it even harder when you get to that highly specialized role. Um, align that with not necess- not always paying the the right level of remuneration for those particular people and chuck in a bit of IR35 in there as well. And you have quite a unique blend, which um, kind of suppresses certain parts of that, that area or makes it difficult, you know, definitely makes it difficult to engage always for certain clients there are clients that are, you know they they've got their finger on the pulse and 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 we can have a really collaborative and um a, a real unique partnership where we can advise and guide on what the market is and, and what to expect and pay and so forth um and i guess another thing which you might add again into that mix is as much as people are, are visible and are on linkedin and are kind of sometimes shouting and they're out there there are there are a number of really good people that aren't as vocal that are doing some really interesting work and sometimes they can't be vocal you know they might be working in specialized specialized roles within the defense sector you know critical national infrastructure has become a really big thing um and some of these people just can't be as vocal about what they're doing so you the further you go up you do have to kind of adopt um multiple I guess avenues on how to approach uh, talent and a lot of it is through you know talking to really good people who can refer you networking going to events going to really highly specialized events not just kind of your standard um infosec and that not that's no slight on infosec at all but you know i've been to black hat defcon and when you go to those types of places you see some you know there's loads of people that i've met that i haven't even they're not even on linkedin and some of the stuff that you speak to them about and hear about, you're like, wow, they'd be really good for these organisations, be really good for this particular customer. Um, so I think that level 
there's a lot more time and energy needed and a lot more it's almost like a search orientated orientated approach when you get to that kind of level hopefully that answers your question yeah no definitely definitely you, you took the words out of the mouth Kieran I was going to say is it harder to engage with these people because of the nature of what they do and then as as, bad as, as I'm about to ask that question you, you, you jumped in with it Sorry. kind of in line with that what are the kind of most common misconceptions or or myths about working in IT security I watched that um show I think I probably bored you about it before I, yeah. what was it called Simon Pegg was in it I think it's called like the undeclared war and it was okay. about like you know what I mean? What, what they call yeah. like GCHQ and stuff like that. So yeah, in my yeah, mind, yeah. everyone in cybersecurity, that's what they're doing all day, like fending off these attacks and very glamorous. So, yeah, I mean, I that's got to be one common misconception. Are there any others? Yeah, there's, there's, I think that's one. Um, it's not all kind of glitz and glamour in that, that perspective. I think the more, I guess, the more pertinent ones um, are really about being technical. I think that's something that a lot of people yeah have a misconception about that you need to have a comp science degree you need to be super technical i think the great thing and this is probably why i love cybersecurity so much it allows anybody and i mean this truly and so anybody listen to this it allows anybody to be able to access it you know it's very unique in that sense you know there are and i was doing some work a few years ago actually um with uh, CISO about how can we attract more diverse talent into the cyberspace? Because there are people that might have been accountants, for instance, so they're very good at getting into the detail. They're very forensic in their approach. And there are roles within cyber which are superbly aligned to those types of people. Um, so I think cyber is unique in that sense is that anybody can access it. I mean, the problem we currently have at the moment is and it's getting better. Is the cyber is is the awareness around how we can attract more people in and giving people better, making people more informed about how they can how they can kind of develop and grow into a cyber role. So I think that's kind of one of the the the, the common misconceptions. And I guess as well aligned similarly to that is it's a bit of a boys' club or an old boys' club, and there are some phenomenal. Um, you know, females within the cyberspace, and I think the cyberspace is all inclusive, all all encompassing, um, and I think we do a good job. And I I, I say we because I'm I count myself as part of the community. We do a good job of making people included, and and that's another thing I really love. If you look on LinkedIn and you read through articles and you see what people in the cyberspace are doing, they do really band together as a community, which is quite unique. Um, but there are loads of there are there are a number of really really successful highly visible females in cyber security. Um, there obviously still is a challenge I think generally across that area to get more people in there, but and more females in there should I say as well. Um, but it's not an old boys club. Um, I say that to say there are some some companies which might seem like that, but I think it's it's changing and there are some good people championing the cause um, for change within that. So those are those are kind of the common uh, couple of the common misconceptions that you generally get across there. That, that, that's I mean that's great feedback. It's it's so good to hear that stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's refreshing to be able to hear that stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, especially on the fact that. Obviously, the diversity point is a great one, but the fact that you don't need to be from necessarily a technical background 
Mm. Um, what what are the kind of typical career paths that you've seen for people into cybersecurity roles, if, if there is such a thing as a typical career path? Do you know, there isn't. I mean, the thing about it is there isn't. I mean, there is there is so many, I mean, there's so many routes into it. You've got areas like digital forensics, you've got the cryptography area, you've got the security testing, the the audits and assurance, the, the privacy, the identity and access, the vulnerability. There are so many different areas that, and I mean this literally, you can come from any background and you'll find an area you can segue into. And how you progress, you might, let's just say you start out as um, someone who's in the data privacy space, data protection, yeah. You might then decide to move into doing audit and assurance, and then you might go into do more kind of, you know, um, you might specialize in cloud auditing. And then from there, you might decide, actually, I really like some of the more technical elements of this, and I'm going to start to train. And, you know, there's there's so many different segues within it. But I say that to say, the, you can make your career what it whatever it wants whatever it wants to be to a degree but there is a lot of hard work behind it because it, it it means a continuous program towards learning and you really got to have a growth mindset you know you really have to if you if you if you if you want it it's there for you but you really have to want to go out and learn and keep up to date we talked about it earlier when you said how do we stay ahead of and this is exactly the same thing right you need to be able to learn you need to be able to be up to date there's so much going on people are doing so many different things there's so many breaches daily yeah it's it's you have to have to have to be on a continual growth journey um, within it. I mean, I say that you can you, you can stay in one area if you want to, but if you really want to exploit and get to grips with the broad nature of what it is the cyber community does, you you, you do have to adopt a really gr- a growth mindset and, and, and be willing to learn continuously. Yeah, that's interesting because that's again it's like a non-technical skill, isn't it? It's a it's a mindset. It's a it's a way that you are rather than you know, being technically minded or having studied something in particular. Yeah. Um, well, a when, lot of it. Sorry, go on. No, go, mate. Sorry, go for it. No, no, I just said a lot of a lot of cybersecurity, you know, is is that way inclined. I mean, the technology is is, is kind of the enable and help. Um, but a lot of, of the people that you speak to, they think a certain way. You know, they, yeah. they, they 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 just think a certain way. They're inquisitive by nature. They can be analytical. They have they do have that desire to learn. They're normally very trustworthy, um, and you know, so that that's that's what makes it quite unique, right? And that's what makes it quite unique. So sorry. No, no, it's fine. I, I mean, touching on that, when you're recruiting for a client, um, or maybe even put that bit to one side, but when you have got, you know. I mean, you'd love this many, wouldn't you? But if you've got 20 applications in front of you from different candidates, how, you know, and obviously you speak to each candidate, how do you differentiate the right person for the right job, an exceptional candidate from a from a, a good candidate? What what are those kind of qualities or traits that, that you see, do you think? Yeah. So, you know what, I, I reverse engineer that. So the first thing that I always do when I speak to a customer is I want to get to understand the types of people they have in their environment, right? I want to get to understand the ethos of the company, how they work, how they've evolved, um, the good, the bad, 
all those types of things. So you get a real good, clear picture in your head of how people speak, the language they use, um, the, the way that they collaborate, because those things are going to be usually quite unique to an individual organisation. And once you understand that, when you have a conversation with somebody, your mind or my mind, should I say, automatically gets trigger points around what people are saying. And you generally tend to find when you have these types of really good in-depth conversations, and I, I try and keep them as quiet as open as possible while making probes in between, you then you generally tend to hear the same types of language. You generally tend to hear the same types of um, things just align. And, and and I say this, and I'm going to go back slightly. I wouldn't say there would be a bad candidate. It's just that you, you get the right person for that right organisation. Yeah, and I think that's what's that's that's really the the kind of the, the critical part there is with the cybersecurity base being so broad, it's not necessarily that that person's exceptional, that person is XYZ. It's just that there's a blended there's a blend of uh, technical, soft skills and cultural background element and way and the way that individual thinks, which just aligns better to an organization. Um so that's how I generally approach and we get a really good success rate from taking that type of approach because generally the people that we would place in front and the people that we represent for roles generally align really well to an organization just by taking that approach and really understanding what the customer wants. Um, but it's difficult to answer that question be, just because there's so much variety. I don't yeah, need to, well. I, it sounds like I'm going around it, but I'm not. It's just that I, there isn't one thing no. I can put my hand on like, right, they do that because there's so many nuances in each role. Um, it would be unfair to say X, Y, Z, I think. And that's how I generally approach and we, t we tend to get a really good success rate when we take that approach. It goes back, mate, to when you, you first started in recruitment, those network engineers, and mm. you would know all of them in the space in that FS world. And you sat there in the client briefing and already getting a picture of the from the people that you know who the right person is. So exactly. exactly. I get it totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally get it. It's, it's uh, yeah. horses to courses, it's the right person in the right place. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you can have the right person in the wrong place, can't you? And and, and vice well, versa. So. It happened. And this is why I take that approach because I've learned over the years that just because someone's exceptional has a really good career or has had a really good career, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to fit into that organization. Um, there is an argument around diversity of thought in terms of they may not necessarily be the same and culturally, but they bring a different, fresh approach to it. But I think there are some intrinsic soft skills around being collaborative, uh, around having understanding people and having an, an empathetic approach to work, um, being inquisitive. These types of things lend themselves really well to that, that security space and being trustworthy. So I think if we if 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 we can ask if, if I'm answering that question like that, I think those softer skills really do play uh, come to the forefront when you're looking for that exceptional person. Um and then the other stuff you kind of feed into that. Yeah, no, I like it. Yeah, very genuine. Um so 2023, yeah. I mean, we're more than halfway through now. It's been really hard to predict from a from a, a world of work perspective. Yeah. What kind of trends or themes do you think we can see in the remaining five months of the year? Yeah, I mean, 2023 has been very interesting, right? I think we've um, we've seen a massive hangover um, from kind of the boom of last year um, after COVID. And I think um, 
companies are kind of taking stock at the moment, reevaluating what's important for them for the rest of the year and, and looking at setting strategy for this year and beyond. Um, and I guess the current external factors don't help with that cost of living, you know, interest rates and other such things have all made it quite a volatile time. So I, I don't know the rest of from what what I can what I've what from the conversations I've had and what I've kind of seen and people I've been speaking to and so forth. I think we'll see a bit of a. A, a, a bit of a, a bit of a mini hiring spree called the back end of the year um with things kind of aligning themselves a bit better going into next year i mean one of the key things we, we kind of got to remember in terms of volatility and uncertainty you know you've got to be cautious but at the same time you know those that act will will eventually take that market share and it's it's always a competitive market especially in the stem sector um and we talked about it before with AI advancing at the kind of rates it is. I think that is really going to drive things for the rest of this year and moving over the next few years um, across all different areas. You know, it's not just kind of the cybersecurity space. It's going to it's going to affect the kind of the full STEM suite. So I think companies won't want to fall behind their competitors um, and will get a bit of a, a bit of a uh, I don't like to say correction in, but we'll start to see things moving with, with that kind of small hurry of flying of flurry of hiring, <laughs> should I say? Um, and we're still seeing a load of digital transformation programs. There's still a number of companies that haven't um, advanced as much. The the critical national infrastructure space is 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 something I've talked about for quite a few years, but I think. We've seen it even more now where where warfare and stuff like that's going, you know, um, protection of our assets from a critical national infrastructure perspective is becoming imperative. Um, mm -hmm. And that's going to drive things as well, you know, um, and all of these things and with everything becoming more digitized and we're talking about everything. Um, the demand, you know, the fluctuation we're seeing now can't can't be it won't stay like this. Just it has to it has to it has to kind of progress and move on, um, just 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 by the very nature of what's happening, you know, um, in in the market currently. Yeah, we saw that's, it. In, that's my um, we saw it in COVID, didn't we? There was companies who acted yeah. throughout that period, and they definitely reaped the rewards of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's still there's still a million open jobs in the UK. Um, unemployment is still historically low levels, so it's not it's not kind of a, a bad year. But I, uh, stick my two penneth in it's people want to move for more money because yeah. cost of living. Companies have paid out to record levels in the past couple of years. They don't want to pay out anymore. People want no. to work from home. Companies want them back in the office more. So yeah. it's kind of a bit stagnant at the moment, um, but yeah, that will, that's going well, to change. It is. It's a little bit of a standoff, right? Um, but I think we'll get some normalisation around it. But I mean, if I talk about stats, if you look at the cybersecurity market, um, this year is predicted to be $202 billion. Yeah, um, more than a million cybersecurity jobs available by 2025 this year. So I say 2023. Um, but there's less people coming in, in, into the industry. So we've got that shortfall, which obviously is creating um, a demand in that space. You know, you hear that obviously zero employment in cybersecurity, which 
it's, it's, it's manipulating data, right? There is definitely a shortage of people coming in, which is creating a kind of um, a backlog in that in that area. Um, but the cybersecurity space, if I take that as an isolation, has got projected growths of 11% this year, 20 20% by 2025. You know, um, and if you look at what what also is driving that, I think it's like every 39, 30 seconds, something like that, um, someone's trying to attack and hack um, somebody, uh, an organisation. You know, and the increase of digital data, the increase of digital data, I say, is 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 anticipating that those cybersecurity attacks are going to quadruple. So it's it's a, it's a really it's a weird thing, right? Because the bad actors are creating more work in that space, and ideally, you don't want really bad people doing bad things, right? But it is creating. It is creating movement in that space so hence why i say although we are in that period of time where it seems a little bit more slow and maybe stagnated people are still doing bad things which means you're going to need people to secure and protect so yeah i i, I see i see things kind of normalizing over the next you know six months or so well i hope so mate i hope so <laughs> thank you Thank you for being so generous with your with your time. It's been it's been brilliant getting to know you better, even though we've been colleagues for a while. There's nothing like a concentrated conversation to make to make that happen. Um, yeah. So our podcast is called People Make the Difference. Um, we've spoken a lot about about tech today, haven't we? Obviously, yeah. in your life, Kieran, there'll be tens, dozens, hundreds of people that have made a difference to your life. Could you please tell us today about you know just one of those people that's made a made a difference to you in your life? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, you're right. There's been a few people. Um, I'll, I'll give a I'll give a shout out to my aunts. Um, amazing women. You know, I come from an Im- uh, an immigrant family. We we came over to the um, into Britain in the kind of mid 70s. You know, with with not much to um, to our name as a family, and you know, we've we've grown significantly over that period of time. And my my aunts have been instrumental in kind of laying the foundations for my family. So I have to give a shout out to them. But if we're going to talk about, if I give an isolated person, I've got loads of aunts, <laughs> loads. Um, if I go to an isolated, probably my uncle, you know, um, he was um, a mechanic slash uh, resprayer. And from a very young age, he kind of made me work with him. And uh, I look back at it now, it might have been um, child, child cruelty, some would say, but he, uh, <laughs> he had... He had me working in a cold garage in Gypsy Hill, um, scraping or say scraping, rubbing polish off cars. And then he paid me like 10 quid a day and I'd do like 15 hours worth of work. And I remember at one point I got I got really upset with him. I came into work and was like, yeah, you just, you know, you're taking the mick out of me. I want to be out there. With, I, was, I, was, I was young at the time. My friends were out kind of gallivanting and playing mm. and all sorts. I said to my uncle, well, why am I doing this for you? You only pay me it's less than less than a pound, you know. And um, and he said to me, look, you know, you're going to have highs and lows in your life, um, and you're going to have some really tough times. He goes, but if you can, at the age that you are, if you can, in a cold garage, no heating in winter time, scrub paint to your hands are numb. That's, this is one of the hardest types of work you're going to be able to do. If you could do that, whatever you do in your life, you you know you know what hard looks like, and you'd be able to go through it. And you know, unfortunately, he passed away 
when I was quite young. Well, I say quite young, I was 17 at the time, but he was definitely, definitely instilled the hard work ethic, I think, um, and, you know, the ability to, if you want something and you really want something, you know, you, 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 you kind of knuckle down, roll up your sleeves and, and just get on with it. And I guess second second to that, it kept me off the streets. It kept me off getting myself into any mischief. Um, I wasn't a bad kid, but, you know, when you're out there, there's more opportunities to get yourself into a bit of problems. So he had a, a two-prong approach to it. But I think <laughs> for me, that was the most fundamental thing. Uh, one of the most, one of the key things that I take um, in terms of people that inspired me um, growing up and, you know, I carry that with me today and I instilled that into my own kids as well so yeah oh he sounds like a legend mate i mean i I was kind of trying to put myself into his shoes then and imagine maybe you're you're the same although you're trying to instill it into your kids imagine trying to get your kids to do what you know Uh, you were doing it just it wouldn't happen but what a great lesson like every day you walk into that office you're thinking this must be brilliant because you just live with it every day don't you these these lessons it's 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 uh it's crazy right because i'd uh, until you've been in and then you know there'll be loads of people that have similar similar examples in their yeah. life where they've done hard things but i think scrubbing scrubbing polish off an old car for 15 hours for less than a pound as a youngster when you want to be out there playing is tough uh when you want out when you want to be out there you know just enjoying life is is tough but i do i do um the the, the lesson has stood me in in well over the years it stood me really well over the years so yeah shout out to my uncle um yeah and here i was thinking that you were gonna go for one of those guys who came to the gym that told you to be a recruiter nah, nah, nah. <laughs> yeah, listen this um there's loads of other people as well right i've met some yeah, fantastic probably. people over the years but yeah that's that's one that um kind of sticks out most for me and is probably most uh relevant for me legend thank you so much for your time mate no worries